Hey folks, and welcome to Dungeon Casters, the Dungeon Master Advice Show for Rookie DMs by Rookie DMs. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And we're here to help you run your new campaign. Right into the ground! Something crash-landed in my backyard, get the shotgun, it's a podcast. This week on Dungeon Casters, we're going to be talking about PCs, or your player characters, how to build them, how to run them, and our tips and tricks. Yeah, so this is, um, despite the fact that you're the DM and this is kind of the domain of the players, you're still going to be a part of this process pretty heavily, depending especially on how new your players are. Even if you're new to it yourself, you're still somehow going to have the role of encyclopedia, whether you want it or not. So here are some, uh, like you said, quick tips for how we've helped players build characters, especially newer players, but there's, there's some rules we have about older players as well. So I know that you, Scott, have a very like clean and easy method for helping players figure out what kind of character they want. Yes. Um, and it comes from you know having a very intimate knowledge of the game. As mm. Ben was saying, you do have to be an encyclopedia. Whether that means you have to reference the book all the time or not, it doesn't matter. They, they're going to come to you with their questions. So when I have a new player who's never played any role-playing game or D&D, before, the, the first thing I ask them is, what do you want your dude to do? And, like, if that's not specific enough, I'm just like, well, do you want to be, like, skillful? Do you want to be magic? Do you want to be tough? And then you go down the road, and if they're like, oh, I want to be, like, a magic guy, I'm like, all right, well, you know, the three magic, main magic classes are going to be, or the main magic classes are going to be cleric, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. And so I'm like, do you want to be, like, a god? Do you want to be possessed? Do you want to have innate magic abilities, or do you want to be a nerd? Or do you want to be a druid? Oh, I, nobody, oh, nobody likes druid except me. You could be a nature magician. That's true. I always forget right. about druids. I know. See, everybody does. Oh uh, well, yeah. Um, and then if they're like, well, I don't want to be like all magic, then you can go into paladins, and you can go into bards, and you can go into eldritch knights, and things like that. Um, but like the the first thing is like us outside of the game uh, terminology is asking like. What do you want your person to accomplish? What do you want them to add? And then after you go through that, you kind of find out, you know, asking them questions and kind of uh, eliminating possible classes and eliminating things like that. I then move into race and then I'm like, well, do you want to be a human or do you want to be like a fancy race? And then if they just want to be a human, you're done. But if they want to be a fantasy... <laughs> Hooray! Congratulations. <laughs> you're, it's easy. You're, you're boring, man. Um, but if you want to be a fantasy race, I'm like, well, do you want to be like a regular one or do you want to be more exotic? And then people are like, ooh, what does exotic mean? And I'm just like, well, do you want to be like a dragon man or a uh, demon person or do you want to be like an elf lady? Yeah, or with the, the newer expansions of the game, the books, tabaxi, like cat people or yeah. crow people or something oh like that. Oh, my God. I know. You like the Kenku a lot. They're so cool. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, and that's kind of how I go through it step by step with them. And once you get all of that information down, um, you know, you do the whole nine yards of rolling the stats, having them pick which skills they want to be. And that's the kind of thing, especially with new players, I take a very active role in, especially with the game, well, actually only with the game mechanic stuff. With the numbers and the rules, I am there the whole time walking them through it like, do you want to be good at sneaking, or do you want to be good at observing, or do you want to be good at, do you want to be, like, athletic, like, and helping them pick out really what their character is. And the important thing to remember is that you always want to refer back to what do you want your character to do as a question from a DM to a new player. Like, what do you want to be able to function? And right. sometimes with new players, you get to people who are like, I want to do everything. I want to be, like, the most powerful man in the world. And you got to kind of harp on the fact that flaws make your character unique, yeah. uh, shortcomings make your character more real. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you might be like a super stealthy rogue, but also your constitution might be a dump stat. You might be like super, you know, weedily and weak. And like, yeah. you have to acknowledge that like, you know, if you're skinny and acrobatic and stuff like that, maybe you're not super tough and strong as well. Or yeah. like, Maybe if you are tough and acrobatic, maybe you're like a chore to hang out with and your charisma is real low. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I, I found that, um, I, and I've, I've heard some different opinions of this online, but in, in my opinion, and I think your opinion as well, uh, 5e's done a pretty good job of limiting the, 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 the scope of where a character can go, mm -hmm. which sounds kind of bad at first, and like you said, there's some players who are really going to hate that. The idea that I can't control everything, and I can't be everything, and I can't do everything, I can be good at everything. 
But uh, there's a reason for that in, in older editions of the game, especially when we played 3-5, there was a tendency for people to go like absolutely ballistic and they mm -hmm. could do everything all the time. And we'll get into some examples and, and some, some stories about that uh, a little later, but those limitations really do help define the characters. And they also force you know, force, uh, party cooperation to a more or less degree. Because if, if you can't do everything, you need to rely on other people to help you. And because it's a group game, that's a good thing to have as a dynamic. You don't want to have players who can do it all because then you have one player who can do it all alone. Especially if that person has a big personality or is one of the more experienced players in your party because they will just take the reins and it will be a one-person campaign where everyone else just kind of sits and watches one person do everything. Yeah, and that's, that's not going to be very fun. Um, so, but yeah, so like Scott said, it's, it's look through the, the, the classes when you get it. And don't even worry about like the, the strange, you know, classes that are in the Unearthed Arcana Online or the other books for, for the immediate future. Just consider um, what each class is and, and, and get a good sense of just the general role of each mm -hmm. one. You know, like you said, like you got your sort of tankier classes. Do you want to be tougher? Do you want to be a spellcaster as well? Well, then a paladin's like kind of a good thing. If you want to be more on the spellcaster side, but more attack-based, you know, a warlock's a good choice there. Oh, yeah. Also, if you want to have a pet, you know, you can have a warlock pet. That's cute. Yeah. People like that. Um, if you want to be very based in spells, you know, a wizard, but if you want to be innately, you know, magical yeah. as opposed to academically magical, sorcerer is more your thing. You know, there's, there's all these little nuanced pieces that you have to hunt down to some degree, but they're there and they're important and, and your player will probably know pretty immediately which one they prefer. Yeah. Even if they haven't consciously thought about it, they'll and probably be like, oh no, innately. I want to be yeah. innately. It's like done. Yeah. Easy. Sorcerer. Even if they're not familiar with the games, they'll know like what yeah. they want their origin story to be. Yeah, you'd be amazed how they already know know kind of yeah. what they want even if they're not saying it and they don't act like they know what they want they'll yeah. they'll be pretty quick to say yes or no yeah. um, and speaking of you know characters uh as you're building on people knowing what they really want the other thing is so i as i said i take an active role with the game mechanics with the numbers with the rules and then i take a huge step back with narrative yeah um because 5e is a role-playing based system it's yeah. heavy in role-playing and Aside from the suggestions that are in the classes, the backgrounds, and the things like that, it really leaves it all up yeah. to you. There's a lot of room there. It's really nice. Uh, it's intimidating at first, I will say that, yeah. that it's so open that sometimes you think, uh, please send me some guidance. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And that's, that's just one of those hurdles that you have to get over. And that's a confidence thing on the DM's part. You have to just be like, no, I, I have the room. I should use the room, please, exactly. you know, please use it. It's, it's a good thing to have at your disposal. It just is intimidating at first. So I, I, like you as well, though, I will pretty much step back when it comes to the backstory of a character, the narrative elements of the character. Um, when we started our game, I had everybody at least attempt. Not, not everybody uh, did one initially or was as full as some of the other ones, but I, I had everybody think of a, a fairly in-depth or at least interesting to them backstory uh, that would be a, a big motivating factor for their character and would give me some guidance in building the narrative because I've said this before that I didn't really start doing any major arc planning until I had a good sense of everybody's backstory so that I, I had a way to weave that stuff into the narrative and make it personally engaging for each character. Um, but I, I let them do it I, on their own. I mean, if, if they come to me and they say, like, will this work? I, I would step in, but I don't want to say, oh, you have to do this, oh, you have to do this, oh, you have to do this. Unless, like, specifically your world says, like, you have to be prisoners. Like, yeah. you have to have no magic. You have to be whatever. Well, know? and and that's the thing is, that's why when I say a step back, that is something um, that's really important to keep in mind is I still... Uh, need like final approval if it's yeah. like there are some times where it's not relevant it's not going to be relevant to the story no matter what they have in their backstory yeah. so I'll just be like okay uh, you can do whatever you want but there are times where like no I kind of need to like double check and make sure everything's sure. Uh, up to code here and the other thing that recently I ran uh, a campaign for Ben one of my friends mm -hmm. and two people who had never played D&D before um, and so when we were building our characters, as I went through my, uh, you know, twelve-step method. There, do you want to be sneaky, magicy, fighty, blah blah blah. But also when it became to backstory, they were, uh, they had a little, they had like a general idea, but they didn't really have a specific one. 
So I was like, well, if you two guys are friends in real life, so like y'all can have your characters be friends right. and do a joint shared backstory. And they did, and it worked out really nice because um, you know, they were they had this shared backstory where one of them was a wood elf uh, whose family was killed by po poachers and she, you know, just goes around hunting poachers. And the other one was kind of a directionless ranger who met this wood elf and kind of got direction through this, like, mission of hunting poachers. Right. And um, it, it's funny because a lot of times in, in this, this was a one shot with the option of opening up if, if that happens. But it's a lot of times the one shots, the backstories aren't quite as necessary. No. I and mean, if I was doing something that I knew was just a one off, I would I wouldn't even if you had a backstory that'd be fine. But I would I don't know if I'd ask for one necessarily. So it's a backstory is something that I consider a tool for a long term play. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Not not like as the as the book defines it, where you have like oh I was a soldier and these are the bonuses I yeah. get and this is the skill I get because I was a soldier or like a noble or something. Um, I mean, like, more narrative, like, where I came from, what I was doing, what my mission is, why I'm here, how I feel, where my ethical state comes from, all those things. Uh, I, I don't know if I even bother with the one-shot. Um, you did, just because you were saying, if this opens up, you know, you have to change the, characters. Yeah, it has the potential for learning. But also, like, sometimes if a uh, player wants to take it upon themselves to do that work, that's good, because yeah. then it will, you know, further inform their play and kind of help them in the even a one shot in the yeah. character in the role playing process. Yeah, and it's if they have the backstory first, like the building part of it is so much easier because it gets so specific at that point. So it's it's a good thing to encourage. It's just, you know, no, it's not always necessary. So if your player doesn't have one, you know, for a one shot, like it'll probably be okay. Like they're coming for the, the, the one time experience and that's alright. Uh, alignment is another thing that players will encounter and can cause some strife and some difficulty is it can be very defining for a character and that can be really nice um, and certainly some some players have more opinionated um, I don't know eh, I guess opinions I, you yeah. know I mean they're, they're more invested in the alignment than other players are I I, I honestly um, disagree in your uh, use of the word defining. Mm. Um, I don't think... I, I, I don't mean alignment is defining. I'm saying players will use it as a defining thing more. Exactly. Some will. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, fair. And like with that, I try to curb that as a DM. And I try to push away from that. Just because like alignment is... I normally tell players to leave it blank until we start role-playing to see how their character acts. And then I will tell them their alignment. Mm. Um, because, yeah, really. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to play a chaotic good character... And they make this character, and they act mostly evil. Yeah. And I was like, well, no, you're not chaotic good. You're, you know, chaotic neutral at best. Yeah. And so people get super offended by that yeah. when they like, oh, no, I made a hero, but they act really shitty. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, no. You're... What, you, what you made is a bully. <laughs> yeah. So um, I tell them to leave it blank, especially new players who aren't familiar with the system. Yeah. Um, luckily, uh, because the internet exists, we have hundreds of memes that yeah. use the D&D &D alignment system yeah. with other pop culture and like, oh, this character is this alignment and those, yeah. you know, those 9x9 nine nine grid boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and everyone knows those and then yeah. I was actually, when I was building one of my players and one of the new players' character with her um, and I was talking about alignment, she was like, oh, that's where those memes come from. And I was like, yeah, that's where they come from. They're, they're that popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good tool, though, if you if, if a player has, a, like, a like a character from something in mind. Honestly, if you type in that character's name and put, like, D&D &D alignment, you'll probably find one. 100%. You'll probably find one, and you can just say, okay, well, there, there's done, square. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been all stuff for new players. Now, some of you will not be playing with all new players or even any new players. Uh, some of you might be playing with people who've been playing a long time, or at least played sometimes before, and there's there's good sides to that and there's bad sides to that. Certainly, yes. The good side is that they probably know more about the game, and you can trust them with their information a little bit more, you know? They'll know, like, oh, I already know how this rule works. You know, great, I don't have to know it. You know, I know how to, you know, put modifiers into, into my rules. Great, I don't need to know it as a DM. However, um, sometimes because they know something, 
they decide they know everything. <laughs> All that. And that's why for the new players, I have the 12-step method. Um, and for old players, I have the shut your mouth and do what I tell you method. <laughs> which, like, more often than not, I will take a closer look at my experienced players' character sheets versus... Unless it's someone that, like, I know and trust not to try to screw me over, but, like, especially players that I know learned on 3.5. Yeah. Mid-maxing is the bane of my goddamn existence, and yeah. um, people who know how to multi-class and break characters and dump stats and build these, like, ridiculous game-breaking characters, it's super frustrating. Yeah. And I will, I will curb, and I will, I will nix characters directly. If someone hands me something that's like, no, this is ridiculous, I will just say, like, make someone else. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, especially if the newer you are at the DM role, the harder this is going to be to identify. And sometimes you just don't know it till you see it. Sometimes yeah. something looks really benign, and then it goes on the table, and you're like, you get how many attacks? Yeah. A, a second? Like, yeah. you what? You know, that, that you know, one, one stat that was high didn't seem like that big of a deal until all of the pieces came together, and you realized they could cast, like, a hundred spells at a turn. You know, it's it's just there's these things. I mean, 5e's not as bad as, as 3-5 was with this kind of thing, but it's still definitely possible. Um, it is. Especially for some of the classes that, like, traditionally didn't didn't scale well. Like, some of the fighters, you know, like, mm. sometimes you're like, whoa, like, you know, I can't cast spells, so they have to compensate in other ways. And sometimes, depending on the situation, it's striking yeah. how powerful certain things can be in certain contexts. Um, especially when it comes to like multi-classing, like you can really you can eke out some very unusual and and extremely powerful combinations if you're careful. So, you know, it's one of these things that more often than not I would say trial and error is going to be the way you'll learn how to like even identify this because I couldn't even begin to imagine all of the ways somebody can yeah. manage to do this and make the game harder and make themselves like so competent. That they're like they don't need anybody else. Well, and that's the thing is that's why I say, especially as a new uh, GM or DM, the important thing is to be comfortable with saying with curbing a character or yeah. being like, no, you can't run that. Like I'm, I don't even know. Like you're talking about rules I don't even know that yeah. I can't find in the book that yeah. are some like obscure ruling that you know is kind of sub game and stuff like that. I'm not comfortable running that, do something standard. Yeah. I tell that, I, you know, like I said, I've been DMing for six years, and I still tell people that. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't overstretch your, your comfort zone too much, um, because you still have to maintain control of the game. Exactly. And if somebody's doing something and you're saying, I have to just assume it's right, you really have to have a lot of trust in that person. And if you're not certain, or, if, or even if you trusted them, and they didn't even know necessarily what they were doing, they just said, like, this sounds cool, and you realize, like, they're unstoppable or they do too much, that no one else really feels like they can participate, you know, say, look, I know it's, it's fun, but maybe this isn't the time, and maybe, you know, this will just be for another game, this is a higher level thing, you know, I, I'm not comfortable, again, like, I think maybe this is causing some strife. Say it, say it sooner rather than later. Yeah, because it, it sucks when you, you know, have this person playing this character, and you're halfway through your third adventure, and that's when you, uh, take the time to be like, hey man, your character is too powerful. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, there's, uh, party relationships are a big thing. That, you know, you have to start somewhere. Exactly. And although the game doesn't really, I don't, like, it doesn't give you a lot of, like, examples. It doesn't say, like, oh, you could meet this way, or you could meet this way. No. You can meet any way you want. And, yeah. and sometimes having those players have pre-existing relationships, like, like the two players you just talked about in the game you just did, um, that's really nice because you don't have to do a lot of, like, the, the messy work of forcing people together who wouldn't normally be together. They're like, oh, we already know each other. Hooray, we're friends. We go, we do, we're together, fine. Um, and yeah, that's nice. nice. Sometimes when it's irrelevant to the story, I'll just, you know, start the game with the, uh, so, how did y'all meet? Yeah. And I'll just leave the initial narrative up to the players and just mm -hmm. be like, they'll start talking and be like, well, you know, my guy would be doing this, and no, my guy would be doing this. And so, like... They talk about it, oh, like, oh, here's how we would have been connected, here's how we know each other. And that can actually help you as a storyteller, mm -hmm. you can, you know, bring a little flavor to the world, but also instantly, without, you know, any heavy lifting, inserts your players into the narrative. Yeah. Because they've already started to create some of it, they've yeah. worked on it already, so now 
you know, they are invested in it, which is great. It's a great tool. It's terrific. And so returning to alignment, also when you come to relationships, you will have sometimes conflicting alignments. And again, in, in a game like when you do and you leave that open for a while, sometimes it's, it's really not apparent because you don't know how everybody's going to play. I mean, there's so much sort of space within a given alignment, some more than others, but there's still room. Um, you think like, well, maybe it'll be okay. They're sharing a goal. It'll be fine. And then sometimes you find out, not so much. There's a lot of problem here. And sometimes not like healthy learning problems. Sometimes like they haven't agreed once and it's starting to like seep into just aggression mm-hmm. or um, like in the player uh, player uh, sorry the viewer question episode I, I know one of the questions was about uh, one player who had a, a conflicting alignment and the other players conspired to kill that player and while that's I guess narratively dramatic it just means that one player is at odds with everybody else and they're just going to have to fight their friends and they might just get killed and it feels like they were hated, like, personally. It's, yeah. it's not a great situation. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, at the end of the day, what that becomes is bullying. Yeah. And, like, I mean... No, I'm not even going to caveat that with, like, <laughs> it seems whatever, whatever. But, like, no, that's bullying. That's what it is at the end of the day, and that's shitty to do. And, yeah. like, if you have an evil character and you've discussed it with your GM or with your party about how, like, the rest of the party hates them and wants to kind of, you know, kill them or something like that, and you've agreed that... Like, and you talked about it out of character and out of game, and you've agreed that it, yeah. it would be cool, that's a whole different story. But, like, if the rest of your party is, like, texting each other, like, yo, we're going to kill this guy yeah, and yeah. not tell him, it's, it sucks, and it's bullying, because <laughs> they're picking on you. Like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. picking on the character you chose and built, and, like, sure, it might not align directly with their views, but, like, it's a, like, alignment is a single sentence. The, the section is a single se- a single sentence in the player's handbook. Yeah. It is such a gray area. It is so open for interpretation. Yeah. It is not, you know, a moral code that you have to live and die by. I know, and I, I think that because the game uh, puts it in such concrete terms, you know, you have, like, nine things, and you select of the things, it's, it's easy to forget that... You know, in your own life, I mean, you have friends who you don't agree with all the time and who do things that you would never do. And sometimes you get furious at them for doing it. And, like, somehow you're still their friend. And so I understand if you're, like, a paladin and then somebody's, like, going and wantonly murdering people, you would have opposition with that. But even then, that that sort of stems into a different issue of, like, probably the DM shouldn't be, like, having those two people in the same game. I mean, that's so dramatic that that's hard unless there's going to be some kind of arc where somebody learns to go to bend a little in one yeah. way. Um, but even so, uh, in most cases, most alignments just don't present enough difference that you can't say like, well, look, I don't agree with them. I think what they're doing is, is even reprehensible in some cases. Even so, I we share a goal. I don't like it. I'm going to go along with it. Yeah. You know, Even if that's what you have to tell yourself to get through it, that's okay. And I would encourage... Uh, especially as a DM your players to take that mindset that like look your people you're thrown together I'm not asking you to love each other what I'm asking you is work together well and if it gets really bad you know maybe somebody has to say like I'll just make a new character if they're fine with that but and that's the thing is like in my current uh, campaign I'm running I have two good characters and two evil characters okay um uh, and like they're all a little bit closer to neutral because they understand it's a gray area, but I have, you know, my two good characters, uh, one of whom's always just like, let's save people, and the other one's like, let's help people, and then I have two evil characters, and one of them's just like, you know, I'm just along for the ride and sort of an opportunist, and so, like, he'll take it, he'll use the good player's, you know, direction as an an opportunity to be evil. Mm -hmm. So, like, They'll be like, oh, this is a bad guy, we gotta get him. And then, like, the evil character's just, like, cracking his knuckles and, like, <laughs> oh, this is my turn, and I gotta, like, yeah, yeah. you know, be evil here. And then the other evil character's just kind of, like, rolling his eyes and sighing the whole time, like, oh my god, are we really doing, like, why are we doing this? He's, like, a simple opportunist, yeah. and that's technically evil because it's self interested, but, like, yeah. he's just kind of, like, alright, like, I'm with these idiots because I have to be, and, like, yeah. I'm going to voice my opinions, but, like, not care too much. And, like, that's what you need when you have, you know, different alignments. Yeah, I, I think that you just can't forget that you can shift around in them a little bit. And, and sometimes what you set out right wasn't really what you were playing. I mean, sometimes you sink into a character, and you just go, like, actually, that's not what I thought I was going to be. 
Yeah. I thought it was going to go this way, I actually am more inclined to go this way. And your players will do that and just kind of let them do it and don't don't make it seem like there's some god of alignment that's going to come down and kill them if they shift even a little bit. Uh, it's not like it used to be. You can you can move around. There used to be huge repercussions for alignment shifting and stuff yeah, like that. That's, that's um, not an issue they're not as big of a deal. Um, so also you will encounter uh, a kind of a conversation between necessary and unnecessary roles uh, that a party has to take. And this comes from like probably old school D and D, but also like video game culture has really pushed. Like World of Warcraft has really pushed. Like you have like tank and a healer. And you have like DPS, and you've got like your spellcasters, and you, you have these like very set in stone um, formats, and and they're the best. That's the most equalized. That's your best chance. That's how you should do it, and so that seeps into role playing. I know a lot of people will take a character they don't really want to play just to fill out a party, just to fill out a party, which is the least necessary thing to do in D and D, especially if you have a DM who's willing to work with you. Like, I cannot tell you the amount of times. Actually, I would tell you that it's almost every time I've run a party, I have not had a healer. Yeah, I have had a healer no one wants to do it. Yeah. Like, twice. And it was probably you, because you play support. That's what I do, yeah. Anyway. I know I've like, done it. But, like, other than that, I've never had a healer. Yeah. And that's fine, because all you do is then just make healing potions and healing items available to yeah. the players. Yeah. Or, you know, give them opportunities for long rests in yeah. between combats. And you don't need a healer. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, people think, like, well, you know, this, this, this enemy puts out, like, a lot of damage. Like, someone's going to need to absorb that. You know, this, en this enemy's, like, got a lot of spells. Like, someone's going to need to deflect those. Someone's going to need to, to dispel them. And I think what you have to remember is it's not really your obligation to give them a tailored experience um, in that you don't have to put them up against stuff that they're equally able to handle. I mean, put them up against stuff that they're really outmatched. Um, and it's their responsibility to be clever enough to figure out how to navigate that problem. You know, if they don't have anything but, like, a bunch of bards, you know, they're just a bunch of bards, yeah. you know, which have their skills, but they're not necessarily that tanky, and their spell loadout isn't huge, but they do have skills, and it's like, well, how does, how does a team of bards handle this problem? Exactly. You know, it's not like one of you has to do this because who's going to take the damage? It's that... Well, no, I mean, now we have an opportunity to find out how people who aren't able to do it in a sort of just beef through it kind of way handle this problem. I mean, do they use traps? I mean, is it just like an environmental puzzle? Do they just like, are they smart enough to bring like 10 towns worth of people and just pummel the thing to death? I mean, you know, what do they do? I mean, give them the opportunity to handle it in their own way. And sometimes that kind of problem solving can be the most fun because no one really knows what it looks like when they go in. Yeah. You know, the, everyone knows what a tank does. And they say like, well, you just take the heat, I'll throw spells. I'll stab it from behind, and you heal me when I get hurt. Yeah. It works. But it's boring as fuck. It can be really boring. Like, when you have a party, like, that's my favorite part is when I have, you know, parties where they have, like, like, the current party where I ran for the first time, we had two rogues, a ranger, and a fighter. Yeah. Like, not only, like, one of the most martial parties ever, but yeah, also, no like... spell cast in between them. Also, like, double rogues and a ranger yeah. is, like... A very specific kind of loadout, and like, yeah, I definitely ran a jailbreak, and I'm definitely gonna run a heist next time because yeah. we're getting another rogue. Mm -hmm. um, but like, because it's gonna be five people, but like, it's the kind of thing where, as a DM, you kind of meet them halfway, where you do plan yeah. for their strengths and stuff, and kind of stuff that will work out and allow them to use the skills they have, but also like. Sometimes you don't, you allow them to overcome a challenge that's not in their wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of thing where you can switch back and forth. Um, yeah. it's, it's not your responsibility to make it easy for them. No. But consider that somebody who has like a whole party that has a will save of collectively two, uh, if you put them in front of enormously powerful spellcasters and you don't give them the opportunity to like go back and replan, they'll just die, probably. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they might survive. But like, don't, don't screw them. Yeah. But, you know, know that you're not obligated to make it easy on them. And if they, if you gave them the opportunity for, like, reconnaissance, and they didn't take it, well... That's their fault. That's their fault. That's their, that's their choice. Um, yeah. And the other thing with roles, like, party roles, is, like, the more informal ones, where, you know, you'll have people who will take on the leadership role. Normally, these are your more experienced players. You'll have people who take on the more, like, think-it-out role and the planning roles. You'll have people who take on, you know, the face card role, where they'll 
every time there's a speech or charisma thing, they'll run up to the front and start yeah. talking to the person. Or yep. you have the wild card people that are just there to throw a fucking wrench in the work. Just to mess it up. Yep. Which, <laughs> which I don't have a problem with. I think no, it's fun. It is but like, fun. These roles definitely should not be assigned and aren't necessary. People just kind of fall into these. It's something to be cognizant of where, like, you have, oh, like, this person is constantly, like, you know, bogging the party down with, like, these intricate plans and, like, well, I know everyone else wants to do this thing, but what if we thought about it and talked about it for four hours? Yeah. And, like, that's fine. That happens no matter what with your party. They're yeah. going to plan and plan and plan and plan. But, like, it's kind of important to acknowledge which of your players falls into these roles. Yeah. So you can kind of give them... Uh, tailored puzzles to, or, or you know challenges or what have you towards their roles that'll either you know make them have to really dive into it or make them have to break that role and play something else like yeah. one of my favorite things is you know with conversations there's always a big dumb zero charisma uh, zero charisma fighter yeah and like Making that fighter be the face card yeah. of the party is so much really fun. fun. It's yeah. so much fun. And, like, yeah. you have the bard or the, you know, sorcerer, whoever has a dope charisma in the background, just, like, biting their nails and, like, having a conniption <laughs> while your fighter's just like, Oh, I don't know, let, let us through. We just kind of uh, you know, we'll be nice. Yeah, guard, what's your business? We're here to kill the king. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> um, and, and watch whoever is playing a charisma based character like throw up on the floor. Yeah. Um, that's always a scream. Uh, so with that, there's also the element of homebrew in your games. This is going to come up, uh, especially players who are really, really interested in the game will sometimes go online and may not even know it at first, but they'll end up probably on some forum or like D&D Wikipedia or something like that. Um, and they'll find a bunch of homebrew content that's not in the games, it's all player made. And it's really interesting a lot of times. It's like, whoa! Every time you see it, it's like finding a piece of gold on the floor. Um, and it can be great, and it can be really difficult. So... And I think um, the important thing to on where to draw the line is going to be um, player intent. So there's two major player intents with diving into homebrew and diving into alt rules and diving into uh, expansions of the game. And the first one is the shitty one that you want to try to curb, the one you try to stop, is breaking the game. People who want to mid-max, people who want to find that like really obscure quadruple multi-class that allows <laughs> them to just like be an untouchable god and death kill forever everything that yeah. they come across. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or like... Or somebody who, like, somehow managed just to get at level 1, like, a 27-plus charisma. It's like, what? Like, wh like why? Like, and that's the thing is, that makes it not fun for everyone else when yeah. you have one. Because it's like... Again, it so overwhelms at that point in the game, yeah. the mechanics, that they'll never have any chance to do anything else. So, when you players, you know, unbalanced uh, game-breaker kind of homebrew, it's something that it's hard to identify, again, if you were less experienced... Um, which is why I would always normally err on the side of caution, and if yeah. someone, you know, is choosing some character options that you're not familiar with, that aren't in the book, and that you don't really understand, tell them no. Yeah. You can do that, it's your, it, I mean, it is a group effort, as we always say, it is a team-based storytelling experience, but it is your game you're running. Yeah. And you're the one who's going to have to do most of the work, yeah. most of the headache, and so you have the right to be like, no, I'm not comfortable with running this. So. Yeah, that's really it for me. If, if, if the player themselves can't handle it, like if they can't remember all the rules and everything for something, I just say, like, this ain't going to happen because I don't have the space to remember it. And with something like that, if, if they start talking to you about what their character can do or will very soon be able to do... And it involves something like I can shoot 13 arrows a turn. And, and you're, you're listening and you're like, that sounds really cool, but it also sounds like ridiculous. Trust that instinct because it's probably ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And while it's possibly very legal, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. They haven't broken any rules to get there. It provides you with kind of an insurmountable problem. It's like trying to run a party of a 13th level player and a bunch of level twos. I mean, there's just like so few ways to mechanically make those two ends meet. Because you'll have to make it so hard to challenge them that it'll cream everybody else. And, and vice versa. I mean, anything weak enough 
that level twos are really on par with it, anything that's anybody's doing that much damage or is that skilled, the, the whole combat will be over in one turn. I mean, it's it's like amazing. I mean, you you, you kind of almost don't even know how ridiculous it can get until mm -hmm. you've seen it happen, and you just go like, "There's no way this is possible." And they walk you through the process, and you're like. Oh my God! This is a hundred percent legal. I can't even believe it. Yeah, I'm gonna in a little bit uh, talk about the most, the biggest travesty <laughs> in regards to a completely legal. Yeah, we uh, have some stories. <laughs> yeah, we got all sorts of stories. But um, before we get into that, we do want to talk about the positive side of homebrew and yeah. what to allow. And the bottom line with that is, if the players just like, "Yo, I found this cool thing, and I really want to do this cool thing. Can I please do it?" Like. That's where I will always say yes. If it's a narrative or aesthetic thing, I will say yes flat out, no questions asked. Yeah. If it is a game rule thing that they're not looking to break the game, but they're just like, no, I just want this functionality because I find this really fascinating, I will do everything I can to work with them and make that happen. Yeah. Even if it's not viable exactly how they found it online or exactly you know the homebrew form they were on, yeah. I will work with them. I will rebuild it myself for them so it fits into you know my mm -hmm. understanding and kind of guide rules of the game. I will do everything I can because the bottom line is if someone finds something they're that excited about, and they're uh, first off, if they're excited enough to about playing D and D to go and do their own research outside of talking yeah, to you. Yeah, nurture that. <laughs> that is uh, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But on top of that, if they're just like, yeah, like I just want to be like, I just want like this is what I want my turns to be. I want to take out two actions. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very specific example from someone person, that yeah. <laughs> has, uh, has intimately DM. But like, I just want to take out two axes, throw them both. Take out two more axes, throw them both and then take out two axes and attack. And like, that was it. That was all they wanted their character to do yeah. was be able to have that be their turn in combat. And it was 3-5, and it was like a moderate level campaign, so having more than one attack was yeah. something that was possible, yeah. but having five attacks was something that was not possible. Yeah. So you kind of, what you do is you're like, well, no, we can't do that, but as, you know, your class that you built, you have three attacks. So you can take out two axes, throw one, then throw the other, take out two axes, and swing with one. Yeah. So there's a compromise, but it's still as close as you can possibly get to what they wanted, and it's not because that person wanted to be, you know, a DPS shooting out tons of damage. Yeah. They just wanted to, like, have a cool guy who threw a lot of axes. Yeah, they, they really just wanted... Uh they, they thought it was cool to be that fast with it. You yeah. Know, sort of just this, like, Tomahawk warrior. I mean, they yeah. thought it was cool. And they were willing to take, like, a huge amount of, like, flaws and, like, negative traits just, just to get it. And it was, you know, it, it, it was balanceable. It was a little wonky, but it was doable. I think, ultimately, when it came down to play, at that level especially, there's not even, like, enough reason to throw that many weapons. You know, like, there's usually, like, five enemies that could even, like, withstand that much damage. So, um, it, it didn't totally work out. But, you know, again, I, I'm with you. I appreciated the intent. I recognized that it was really just for the, the joy of that type of character that, like, they thought it'd be, like, a lot of fun. Yeah. And not, not like, they weren't trying to ruin it. They just thought, like, that's that would be cool to be that person. And and that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to say that it would be cool and it's... It's just for that reason, like you said, sort of narrative or aesthetic. I think it's it's really rad. But once it gets into like, boy, this is a, this is how I can do a million infinite damage all the time. Yeah. It's like, all right, I, I'm starting to believe that maybe this is just like a meta. Like, how how funny would this be if I could just kill everything all the time? You know? Yeah. Like, or like, uh, or like, let's see how hard we can screw our DM by. Like, it happens. I mean, oh my god! Yeah, there are tons of players that like want to alpha dog the DM and just yeah. be like. Yo, I'm gonna make something that's gonna be really hard for them and just ruin all their plans. And at that point, it's just kind of like, honestly, like this might be a little harsh, but like honestly, like fuck you, dude. Like <laughs> seriously, we're working together to try to make something fun, and I'm you know putting a lot of my own personal time to build something for you guys. Yeah. And your only you know desire in life is to take a big old fucking shit on that. <laughs> so like, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm speaking to a very specific <laughs> individual right now. I'm speaking to someone personally. Um, Hopefully they don't listen. Uh, but like, it's the kind of thing where I don't know. Like, that's an argument at that point. I mean, yeah. you're just having like a personal argument through the game. It's it's really passive aggressive, uh, and and that that's not cool. Don't do that. If yeah. you're thinking about doing that, don't do that. Um, as a player, it's it's just not worth. It. As a DM, don't make. Sort, sort of likewise, like don't make NPCs that are just like a death sentence because you're mad. I mean, yeah. you know, 
hitting them with a brick every now and again because they're being jerks is like one thing, but just like, all right, there's like a 1700 headed dragon and it eats you and you're dead. You know, yeah. I mean, like, you know, lay up on that. But um, things to identify, th things in the game, there's certain multi classing is a way to sort of get into this homebrew, possibly game breaking area. And some are really reasonable and some are really not. So, like, if you're a warlock and you want to become an assassin on top of that, probably that's okay. You know, you'll have some spell casting, you'll have some rogue skills, you'll be okay in both, but as a utility, you'll, you'll be really useful, you'll be really good at your thing, yeah, and a, it won't be ridiculous in terms of mechanics. It's a dope multi-class, too. Multi -class. Like, um, I would love to play a warlock assassin, because I only play rogues, so yeah. like, <laughs> I, I would love to be able to cast competently as a rogue as well. I mean, arcane tricksters are fun, but like... It's a different thing. It's a different kind of thing, but like, yeah, warlock assassin sounds like a really dope thing, and right. nine times out of ten, if someone's pulling that out on you, that's because like, they had a cool idea. Yeah. And, like, I know that I have been trying to build uh, Corvo from Dishonored for years in yeah. 5e. It's hard. It's really yeah. hard because, like, he has a very specific list of skills, and they're also, like, in terms of Dungeons & Dragons, super OP. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. like, it's been hard to build it, but I've been working on it. Actually, Warlock Assassin is probably... Probably the closest you're going to get. Yeah. Um, Likewise... There contrary is, wise yeah the, the exact opposite is uh, an example from 3.5 which I am uh, intimately familiar with uh, it's a character class called the pun pun now this was invented in 3.5 era it is all entirely game legal people went or whoever created it did it was hours and hours of research <laughs> finding the exact formula for multi-classing it involves like specific races six different uh, character classes and like all of these specific spells chosen and at the end of the day what a pun pun is is a character with infinite stats strength dexterity constitution intelligence wisdom charisma are all infinity because it's this weird combination of classes that allows you to like I think it was like summon a certain kind of animal serpent and then enlarge it and then you take on the traits from that animal serpent and then you shrink it back down and then you enlarge it again and then you retake on the traits and they stack so you could literally just like pump up this serpent to have like a hundred strength because it was the size of Texas and then <laughs> you take on those stats and then you, you shrink it back down and yes. repeat and then you have 200 and then you do it again and yeah. you just double your stats over and over and over and over again yeah. and like there is literally no reason for that character to exist because, yeah. yes, technically it's all legal. Technically it's all in the rules. Technically you have a right as a player to do that. That being said, in this magical fantasy world, if a pun pun existed in the canon of D&D, everyone would be dead. Yeah, all life as we know it would come to a complete It would be end. the apocalypse. It would be like, it would just be like, alright, so this pun pun, because you know the kind of person that's going to build a pun pun just wants to rule the world and fuck everyone over. Yeah. So, like, they are going to, you know, completely enslave the entire earth and just, yeah. like, be untouchable. And they have infinity health, infinite, because when your charisma gets boosted, your health gets boosted, so they also have infinity health. They can't be killed. Their dex is infinity, so they have infinity armor class. They can't be touched. They literally are invincible. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like putting god mode on in like GTA or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's, it's a mess, and people will do it. Try to be aware of it. Again, this is like an experiential thing. You'll just have to see it when it comes up. Uh, I don't know if like a pun pun is like super feasible anymore. In 5e, I don't believe I've seen it. Yeah. I don't know. But if, there's going to be things. There's, there's going to be, but there's going to be things like that. There's going to be things like that where where some little trick of like physics or some little uh, character trait that seemed kind of minor at first, it's like oh I can cast this a million times, and it's like okay everything within I don't know a hundred thousand miles dies. I guess is yeah. what happens. Um, well, it's, it's, it's possible. It's still it's still in the game, um, but. Be aware that you either have to stop it or um, just at the time when it appears, you say, okay, actually, no, we're not doing this, yeah. you know, uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's it's still a game and people are going to want to play. And if something like that happens, it becomes about one person. And that's, that's not cool. But speaking of one person, it's story time. And which one of us wants to go first? 
Um, you want to go first because you're already on this train. Yeah, so. I'm already on this train, and your story is like a lot funnier. So we'll end, <laughs> we'll end on a high note. Oh, yeah, I like this. So, one. um, for the sake of the people we're going to be talking about, we've changed their names. Um, but we're talking about specific player types right now, and the player type I'm going to talk about we refer to as a Derek, yeah. and. Sorry if your name's Derek and you're a nice person. We're not talking about an actual Derek. Um, but, like, a Derek is uh, the person who introduced me to the pun pun and who uh, explained that to me. Some of the in 3-5 characters that um, I've seen, you know, people like this play are the werewolf vampire lord monk or some something like that, which at the end of the day was a character that had one ability and one ability only and it was to trip people. <laughs> and that was it. So in combat, he 100% chance of tripping every attack. So he would just trip all the enemies and they would be lying and in 3-5 it took a full turn of movement to stand up so all of your enemies couldn't move because he would just go around, trip, 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 everyone would be lying prone and on your turn everyone would stand up and then on his next turn, trip, 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 trip. And so it turns combat into like, alright, well, I'm just gonna sit here and wait for you guys to wheedle down all these HP points. And so, like, that kind of character, although, like, not too crazy in regards to their abilities, ruins the game. Yeah. Because then no one else is doing anything else. Yeah. That's the only person, that person becomes the all-star of combat, and, like, everyone else is just sit there and wait. Yeah. Um, also, one time, I had a friend who on his first time DMing ever, made the mistake of uh, running a 18th level um, evil alignment campaign. Yikes. So, I mean, I made like the dopest of dope assassins, <laughs> uh, but our one friend Brian did a... It wasn't a... Oh fuck, I just said Yeah, you did. Okay. Three... Two, one. And of course I made like the dopest of dope assassins, and my one friend, Derek, um, made a character that was not a dragonborn because they were like a full dragon, um, but like uh, bipedal and like humanoid, but they could fly was the point of that. Um, they had such a high strength that they could, they used uh, full blades, like, you know, buster swords, right. as throwing weapons. <laughs> so he, okay. he, would, he just had a, uh, like, bottomless quiver of buster swords, like full blades, in his, on his back, and would just pull them out, and he could throw four of them a turn, and when your throwing knives are doing, you know, 1d12 plus 7 damage on a hit, and you can throw four of them. <laughs> like, he, he would just be, like, throwing them and cutting people in half from, like, 20 feet away while flying up out of reach above the combat. Right. And, like, I mean, it ended up just being, like, he didn't play it too bad, and, like, it just meant that, like, every time we are in combat, he just ran train. But, um... And then at the end, you know, the DM, of course, made the mistake of saying, like, you guys are going to die. God. That's like that's like a little side note here, like, the DM told us the challenge rating of our final boss beforehand and said, you guys are all going to die. Yeah, which means you won't die. Which, oh, which means, yeah, we were going to do everything in our power to screw that plan over, so, like, we were all level 18, it was a challenge rating 26, like, Archangel, and we happen to have a ring of wishing in the party oh. and someone who could cast wish. Oh. So guess what we did? Yeah. We wished ourselves into another dimension mm. and also wished the angel permanently comatose so it couldn't follow us. So, angel's comatose, we were in another dimension, and the angel couldn't follow us. So we, we thought we won. The yeah. DM said that we lost because we didn't kill the angel, but like... Yeah, whatever. Whatever, we won. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, we all lived. That's worth noting that no matter how strong you think your monsters are as a DM, your players are stronger. Like, there's Always. just like... That CR in the book doesn't mean as much as you think it does. If, if only for the virtue of numbers means so much in this game. Yeah. Like, a singular... A singular bad... Bad, bad guy. Just like one enemy that doesn't have like ten attacks is boned. Yeah. Like, is boned. I don't care if they're, like, 
three or four levels ahead of the party, they're boned. They'll never be able to keep up with the damage coming in um, and the amount of times it will come in. So, Well, I mean, that's what happens. Because when you have one big bad against your whole party, regardless of how much higher the level is, yeah. the party's just going to be like, all right, surround him, yeah. kick his ass, take his wallet. And so like, yeah, it's just, it much. just comes to a group of heroes... You know, just kicking this one bad guy while it's on the ground in a circle around it, and like yeah. essentially jumping him, and yeah. then you know they die. Yeah, they either have to have a number of attacks that's equal to or greater than the number of people, or they have like underlings or something. But just be aware, your players are way stronger than you think they are, and they may take them a little while to realize it, but they'll realize it. Well, yeah, and that's especially if your players, to you know, sum up, is a Derek, someone who is going to research hours and hours on forums and homebrew websites to find the most broken, ridiculous characters, and that is how they get joy out of the game. Yeah. Which, like, I get it, that's their thing, yeah. I have a huge problem with it. I don't know if you guys can tell that, like, <laughs> I have a major problem with it. Yeah. Um, so, like, sometimes you're going to hit those characters, nine times out of ten they're going to be super experienced characters who have been playing for longer than you, and yeah. so they know that, they know the rules better, and because of that they will also try to, you know, they're not above... I don't know, cheating's a strong word, but, like, using that yeah. to their advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an example of sort of a game-breaking type player. Mine is more of a, the intentions were really good. The intentions were good, and I appreciated so much the level of depth that was, that was explored in this character. But my, 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 my friend, a close friend of mine, who I love dearly, uh, who in this case will be called Paul. So, again, if you're Paul and you're a perfectly wonderful, fair player. Um, Paul was going to be a player in a 3-5 game that I ultimately never ran. Uh, this was years ago. And Paul, Paul had had a history of creating these like really weird characters. Paul was the axe person that was mentioned previously, yeah. like five axe throws and that's all I wanted to do. And, and, and things that weren't like necessarily un unplayable, just really difficult and super esoteric and very, like, hard to manage and, and were so outlandish that I could never really tell, like, where they would fit. And a lot of times there was, there was like, rule breaking, but kind of unintentionally just out of, like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. I'll change it kind of thing. So I got an email. <laughs> I'm sorry. I find this very funny. If we laugh throughout, I do apologize. I got an email from Paul. Uh, one day before the campaign had started, and it was all of his character traits and equipment and everything. So it started out strong with a multi-class, as Paul was wont to take, and it was, it started out, the first words are true neutral, which in itself is, like, really hard to run, uh, and almost impossible in some case, like, you have to stand somewhere, I mean, true neutral is, like, kind of crazy, like, the Grim Reaper's true neutral, you know, yeah. and it's, like, there's not many other things that fit in that category, so it's, like, okay, an elf, that was fine, uh, and this was uh, in 3.5, so this actually meant a little bit more than it does now, but it was nine levels in monk, six levels in bard, which is a really weird combination, and I didn't really get why, but I found out sort of eventually why, um, because this combination is, like, way too rad. Um, so the, this, And the stats weren't, like, ridiculous for 3.5, so it was like a strength of 12, which is fairly low, a dex of 18, which is really not unreasonable, a lot of people have that stat that's that high, especially at a level like this, it was like 15, mm -hmm. um, constitution of 8, which gave them like actually a minus modifier, so that was okay, the intelligence was 14, so that was decent, the wisdom and the charisma were both 18 as well. Now, there's these little sub-stats here about where the, where the number comes from, and so there's all these references to like, this is plus from a hat that he has. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll get to that in the equipment. And the, the health points are 56, which really isn't even that high. Um, the AC is 21, which gave me a moment of pause. But again, like 15, 3-5, that's not ridiculous. Uh, for those who've never played 3-5, you used to allocate a lot of stat po uh, skill points. So at this point, he was working with 120 skill points he had to allocate. So just, you know, keep that in mind. And this was when he had like a base attack bonus, which kind of was a little bit like, um, what, what is it now? Proficiency. Uh, proficiency, but it could be a lot higher. Um, and this was like plus 10 and plus 5 for like two attacks. I mean, it was like really high. 
Um, and then we get into the feats, which there's like a lot of them. And in three five, you've got a lot more feats. In in in, in fifth edition, there's you, you can take them, but they're not like really part of the level up system. You don't make them part of the level up system. Well, they're more special that way. They're more special that way, and you really have to pick and choose more carefully because you don't get them as often. But in three five, you got them all the time. Um, so things like improved criticals. So criticals on on a wider range of dice rolls. Blind fight because this character I found it was also blind um, and could could still manage to attack if they couldn't see. There was like a whole sort of weird system that actually didn't work as well as he thought it did. It wasn't so equal, but okay. Um, and some relatively normal things like point blank shot, which gave you certain bonuses on close range combat, far shot, which is the opposite, precise shot, which increased your, your hit chance with ranged weapons. And it was weird because we hadn't really seen anything up to this point about like ranged combat. And even when you get to his main weapon, he wanted a katana. And it was a plus five katana that did an absolute shitload of damage. It was concealable. It was vorpal, which meant you could you de you decapitated if you got a nat twenty roll. Uh, and you also it was infused with speed, which gave it uh, one extra attack with full base attack bonus. That was plus ten instead of plus five. Now I should state here that uh, I showed this to Scott at the time, who was a who was a very experienced DM by by comparison to me, and who sent back an email basically saying like you didn't do any of this right because you couldn't stack enchantments like that. You couldn't. Um, you would later find that you're gonna hear a list of poisons that's to die for. Oh my god, that's the most important part. <laughs> And so anyway, so there was a lot wrong with this already. He already couldn't have this weapon, yeah. basically. It was like already way too much. Uh, he had a robe that gave him plus AC, two AC, and it was constantly emitting smoke. And in parentheses, it says, fluff it up so it's not actually quote-unquote smoking. I'm just always in concealment, which was kind of ridiculous because you think about somebody in a town square, there's nothing more, I guess, like noticeable than somebody who's constantly emitting a trail of black smoke. So I almost would have let him have it just because it kind of puts him at a disadvantage half the time. Uh, also, it was heavily fortified, this robe, so he was immune to crit damage. I could only ever do normal attacks against yeah. him. So that was like, okay. And then he had this hat, which gave him plus two charisma and plus four wisdom, which again, I don't think was possible. Nope, uh, that was way <laughs> too many pluses. Uh, he had what was called a lucky coin, which gave him one reroll per day for a bard spell, um, and okay, and then one reroll a day for anything. Which even if it's right, he's not getting it. Yeah. Uh, no way. And it should be said that because this was a high level campaign, I gave him a lot of money to spend on like some magic stuff, and and he invented a number of these things in yeah, one way or he another. Had, he had, we had like. Uh, 500,000 golds. Yeah. But, I mean, in 3.5, there was a chart that would, like, level your gold in 5, and 5e, they kind of nixed it. It's in um, the Dungeon Master's Guide to a degree, but it's kind of like... One thing they changed in, from 3.5 to 5e was um, you don't need magical weapons or, you know, items anymore. At a level 20 with completely mundane equipment, it's still just as competent. The magic items are just, like, extra flavor. Yeah. So in 3.5, you needed... If you were beyond level 5 and you didn't have at least three magical items, you were fucked. You were at a big disadvantage. Okay, so this was a string of, like, I don't know, five emails he sent me at once. And so I'm going down, I'm reading this, and it's getting kind of just, like, more absurd. And I'm still wondering about what the deal is with the throwing proficiency and their ranged proficiency... Because uh, he just took a sword. And I was like, why do you need this? So he sends me a list of his skills, which is not that funny in itself. It's just an extensive list of skills and numbers, which was all fine. And then we got to a list of potions. Now, what I found out about this character was the whole idea was that he was a number of things. He was like a samurai assassin who was also a, uh, a what's it called? Snake oil a, a snake oil salesman. So he would like go around killing people with the utmost proficiency, but also he would, like, sell them junk. Like, it... it so he had, was combining all these aesthetics into one, and the, the potions and poisons and his items are really where these things shine, and, like, the crux of this character lies. So I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, like, read you this list, because it sort of speaks for itself. So it starts with this. As for the potions and whatnot, here's my layout. All three portions. 
three shurikens with instant death poison, only against humanoids of tiny or medium size. That's not a thing. Like, first of all, that's not a real poison. Uh, that, that's not real. Three shurikens with strength loss, strength loss poison, which is a thing. Three shurikens with dexterity loss poison, which is a thing. Plus one third reduced speed. Is that is that part of I it? I think that was part That's of part it. That's part of it? Okay. Here we go. This this one. Three <laughs> rusty feces poisoned tetanus full needles. That's not in the book. <laughs> and I'm not even really sure how one uses this. Um, we were talking about this before that it's sort of it's like really a long play weapon. I, yeah, because I think like, that was his plan was to have it be a long play, like wound someone in combat, and then let them live, and then have them die of sepsis three weeks later. Yeah, it was it was something. I, I don't really know. It was just disgusting more than anything else. Yeah. Like it, it was like a scare tactic. <laughs> My personal favorite on this list. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Sick paste. <laughs> which um, sick paste, which has no further sort of physical description was a minus 1d8 constitution, minus two saves, they're woozy, vomiting, grossed out, and they have a runny nose. <laughs> so, oh my God. I, so in my head, this was just like liquefied garbage that he'd like compacted with flour, which was amazing. Uh, I wasn't gonna let him have it, but I'll, I'll never for the rest of my life forget the word sick paste. Beyond that, we have a flask of explosive, vaporous, Super disorienting stuff. <laughs> what it is, I don't know. One time use for the splash effect. Uh, we have bottle of sleep aid! Exclamation point. We were really into melatonin at that point I, in our lives. I guess that's it. Uh, a vial of truth serum, which that, I think that existed. Yeah, it does. Um, itch powder, dot dot dot, <laughs> in little bags. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. fair. Jar of brown stuff, which sounds worse than it is. That was like a long, uh, long-going gag of ours. Uh, that brown stuff was this drug somebody sold. So that was it. Was like a hallucinogen. It was. Well, that was the thing. Is like I didn't use the official potions in regards to healing potions. There was like brown stuff, purple stuff, and green stuff. Yeah. And it functioned more like um, Ocarina of Time potions, where you had like a magic heal, yeah, a health yeah, yeah, heal, yeah. and a both. Yeah, and and brown was just like. Drugs. <laughs> yeah, Brown was just like a little decision. Uh, he also wanted that temporary paralysis stuff from Romeo and Juliet. Uh, was I going to get that? That's for sure. LSD solution, a bag of mushrooms and cactus juice. One ounce of high quality weed. One ounce of low quality weed. Super medieval meth cocaine speed stuff mixed with blood, which activated a rage spell in whoever took it. Various strengths and types of soju, sake, and whiskey, which, okay, that was reasonable. Cigarettes, just because why not? Shitty health potions, 1d6 for scamming people out of money, of course, and last but not least, crow pheromones. Oh my god. Um, and then he just, like, like, he needed it at this point. He added masterwork thieves kit, paper ink and a quill, a silk rope that's just to be used as a belt, and caltrops. Like... Like, he needed anything else. And so I get this list, and it's like, the funniest thing, I mean, this email is, what is this from? When did I receive this email? Because I've had it for a lot of years. Um, but it's this, it's this thing where it was, in, it was in good fun, right? It was, it, was, it was enjoyable. It's from 2013. I mean, this, I've had this for a long time. It's, from, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, like, cute. Obviously, he was really excited, but it was outrageous. And I couldn't let even half of it through. And I, like, I wanted to see it in action. I mean, I really did. But I just, there was no way this was ever going to fly. I mean, it like, it, like, didn't work. He'd broken the enchantment rules. He was way too strong. And he had all these, like, crazy things that had no stats, no anything. And I was, like, a brand new DM. I had no idea what to do with any of this stuff. And even Scott, who had seen a lot of games and run games, was like, absolutely not. Do not let him touch this. And he passive-aggressively sent him back the real poisons list. It was like, this is your options. I don't care what you say. No no choice. Um, but, you know, it was difficult. And, and ongoing, Paul has proven that he will always make characters that are just somehow difficult or weird or so out of the ordinary that they're like, what do I do with you? 
And but it's in good fun. He it's, he enjoys it, and he never goes out to break any rules. And he oftentimes really doesn't. That was kind of the worst part about this item list. Is at the end of the day, I was talking to you before. It was like this guy is really just carrying around like liquefied garbage, which would be easy to get, and poop. <laughs> and like that's easy to get, and like itching powder is probably easy to get. Like there was nothing really. It sounded like the instant death poison was a little much, and the paralysis stuff was a little much. But a lot of it was like. He could probably get it without much effort, and I was like, okay. Well, and that's the thing, is with running um, players like Paul, what I've found is that, and I've also, you know, dm for Paul, you know, our Paul, many yeah, times, yeah, yeah. Um, and what I've found is when he gives you something like that, it is, as you know, Ben said, with the best intentions. He wants, he has this cool yeah. idea, he wants to make this cool character, yeah. and so then it's up to you as a GM to, you know... Take what they want and be like, all right, let's work together to build this in the game. Yeah. So you start watering it down to, like, what specifically do you want your function to be? Okay, let's see what in the book has, you know, these functions. And, yeah, you can dip a little bit into homebrew to, you know, kind of appease them a little more. Yeah. But think about it as, like, you know, you worked really hard in your story. You worked really hard on this game, and you put a lot of work into it. This person who's doing this is working just as hard on their character. Yeah. So you might as well meet them halfway. Yeah, and encourage the enthusiasm, but there's some at some point you just can't let them have the sick paste. It just... You, know, you, you can't. Yeah. The, the, the runny knows too much. Yeah, so this has been a longer episode. We apologize <laughs> if that's inconvenient. We're, you're welcome if you like it. Yeah. Um, if you have any questions about... Uh, players you have, troubles with their characters or their interactions, uh, or just like how to start giving more uh, involved and maybe nuanced advice uh, to new players who don't really know what they want to make, uh, feel free to email us at dungeoncasterspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at dungeon underscore casters. And uh, maybe we'll answer your questions in an episode. We've been good so far about answering them pretty immediately uh, personally, but we'd be happy to make another um question episode with me in it that would be Hope, neat. hopefully so i don't yeah. leave scott high and dry again uh but yeah send us send us a line we'll get back to you uh hey ben yes hey ben mm-hmm. hey ben hey ben yeah okay tell me please how do you get a group of dwarves onto the roof i assume the answer is not a ladder because that's not funny so tell me how? You say drinks on the house! Oh, ah. God. Yeah.